We are in um, Genesis chapter 40 this morning. We'll have the words on the screen, uh, the verses, but if you have your Bible and want to follow along there, uh, Genesis chapter 40 is where we're going to be. We are going through this last section of Genesis on the life of Joseph, and that started in chapter 37, where we were introduced to Joseph, um, one of Jacob's youngest sons, and his, uh, the son that he loved the most. Like, he showed favoritism to Joseph. Joseph was given special treatment and received gifts that the other uh, kids did not. Um, and partly because of that, Joseph's brothers despised him. Now, Joseph didn't help that. He was, I think, just from the little bit that we read, uh, he was a spoiled brat. We get little hints of that. He tattled on his older brothers, even making up stories to try to get them in trouble with his father. And I don't mean as a little kid. I mean, even as a 17-year-old, that's how he was treating his brothers. We read as well in chapter 37 about Joseph having a dream. It was actually two dreams that Joseph had, and the two, the number two of those dreams was important because um, having two dreams like this was believed to be confirmation that the dreams were not random dreams, but dreams given by God. In these two dreams, Joseph saw himself as the king of his family or ruling his family, and his brothers and even his father would be bowing down to him. Boastfully, I think, Joseph told these dreams to his father and his brothers, and that certainly didn't help uh, his relationship with his brothers. So one day, again, chapter 37, uh, while the brothers were shepherding in the field, Joseph was home with his dad. His dad sends him off um, to, uh, to talk with his brothers. The brothers see him coming from a distance, and they begin to plot to kill Joseph. Um, they settled, instead of killing Joseph, they settled on selling him into slavery. That way they could be rid of Joseph and they could make a profit while they did so. So last week we talked about what happened after he was sold um, into slavery. Joseph was sold to Potiphar a captain in Pharaoh's guard. Joseph served Potiphar well and, and moved up in Potiphar's home. He likely started in Potiphar's home as, as someone working in the fields, a, a slave working in the fields. He moved up and, and until he was actually put in charge of everything that Potiphar had. Uh, so things went well for Joseph, but he was still a slave, right? Joseph was a slave. Things went well, and, and he was over his master's house until Potiphar's wife lied about him. Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of trying to take advantage of her. Um, he was angry. Potiphar was rightly angry, and, and he threw Joseph in jail. So again, we see in jail sort of the same pattern with Joseph. Joseph is a faithful prisoner. He is hardworking. Um, he's a man of character. And the jailer, seeing the hand of God uh, on Joseph's life, moves Joseph up to overseeing all the prisoners in the prison. Now, here's the thing as I talk about that, right? So, so think about what has happened in Joseph's life to this point. He was the favorite son. He was 
probably babied by his father. He certainly was given things that the uh, other sons were not given. He was excused from work even though he was, he was able and old enough to be working in the fields. He was home with his father. He goes from that to being thrown into a pit by his own brothers who were plotting whether or not to kill him and what they'll tell their father when they do. Uh, one of his brothers does stand up for him and says, we shouldn't, we shouldn't kill Joseph. So then they decided, well, rather than do that, we'll sell him. So his own family, his own brothers turn against him and sell him into slavery. Now, we know what slavery is from history, and we can read about slavery when it comes to how God's people were treated in Egypt. Slavery was slavery, and Joseph was a slave, and he was a, a slave even though he was in charge of Potiphar's house, he was still a slave. And then on top of that, he was lied about. Potiphar's wife lied about Joseph, and Joseph was thrown into prison, right? So one thing after another after another for Joseph. Now, I don't know how well I would have fared. Actually, I, I have a good idea. I don't think I would have fared very well um, in, in Joseph's shoes. I, I, I don't think I'm alone in that, but, but when adversity and difficulties in life come, especially when they seem to be things that are really unfair to us, then we are stretched in our faith. And so if I were Joseph, I know that my faith would be, would be severely stretched. And, and while adversity itself, like initially, may drive us to God, I think it often does, long-term adversity, long-term suffering, especially when it feels like it, it, is, it is unfair and unending, more often than not, it, it drives us away from God. It drives us away. We, we lose faith. We lose our trust in him. We feel alone and abandoned. So remember, as we've been going through this story, I, I have told you that this was written when God's people, the Hebrew people, were coming out of their bondage in Egypt and 400 years of slavery. So God's people, descendants of, of Jacob, descendants of, of Joseph, being released from, from their slavery, they are being led to the land that was promised to Abraham. Now, they would have traveled, just to give you a little bit of, of geography and history, going from Egypt to Canaan, the land that was promised. This is who's receiving this story. They had to travel 529 miles. Now, I'm not good with math, so don't laugh at me if I get this wrong. But I think, from my math, if they traveled two miles a day and they rested one day a week, two miles a day is not very many. So if they traveled two miles a day and rested one day a week, they could make the journey from Egypt to the promised land in far less than a year. Yet, they would wander in the wilderness of the desert for 40 years. 40 years. 40 years in the wilderness. An entire generation would die off in the wilderness. How would they respond? How would they respond to their wandering? How would they respond to feeling like they had been left alone and abandoned by God? How should they respond? Really, the, the question bridging the context even further for us is the same. 
How would we respond? How do we respond? How should we respond when we feel the same way? I want to pray for us this morning. That's where we are going. I want to pray for us this morning. Um, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would be especially good um, to help those of us who feel that way today, who feel like we have been abandoned by God and we are in the wilderness and we don't know where He is. I want to pray today that the Holy Spirit would be especially good to help us see that God is with us. And for those of us who aren't there today, you'll probably hear me say this again, we will be there one day. And I want to pray now that the Holy Spirit would be with us when we get there. So would you, would you pray with me that the Holy Spirit would do something mighty? Listen, we, we can pray at the same time. God hears all of our prayers. Isn't that amazing? It, it, it is amazing. So I, I'm asking you not to just listen to me pray. I'm, I'm asking if you would beg the Holy Spirit with me to do something amazing today. Will you do that? Yeah, let's do that. Father, we are, we are, we are needy. We are, we are needy whether we know it or not. And so we, we come as people with, with, with open hands begging, begging for your help. Holy Spirit, we are, we are, are pleading together that you would do something amazing in our midst that you would help us. There, there are some who are, are suffering today and, and, and wonder where, where their God is. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be so gracious today to, to, to open, open our eyes to see that our, our God will never leave us and never forsake us. There are others today who, who need to hear this, not, not for where they are today, but where they will be in, in suffering and, and in darkness. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, would plant what we learned today deep in their hearts. And I, I pray for all of us that we would, we would believe like Joseph, that we would trust. And I pray, Father, for us as a family together that we would we would be for one another and we would be with one another to point, to, to, to point each other to the beautiful truths that we'll talk about today. We love you. Help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to start by reading chapter 40, uh, the first four verses there, chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Some time, some time. Um, these first verses uh, of, of chapter 40 are book-ended with those words, sometime. Sometime after this is how it starts off, and, and then it ends with, and they continued for some time in custody. The writer is writing that and bookending this so that we won't miss it. And so I want to make sure that we don't, we don't miss that this morning. I, I said last week in the sermon that there's a danger for us in, in thinking that these things happen sort of in 
rapid succession, right? Like one thing after another. The story is short, and so when we read the story, it just feels like and seems like all of these things were, were just happening. Like it was, it was right after Joseph was sold into slavery that he was immediately moved into leadership in Potiphar's house. And when things did turn for him and he was thrown into jail, if we're not careful, we read this, and it, it seems like he has moved in jail even to being in charge of all of the prisoners. And so we read it. We read the cupbearer coming and the baker coming. And it's like one day after another, all these things were happening. And that's not the truth. It was some time the writer is telling us. Some time had passed. And when we miss that some time, then we are led to believe not only that all of these things happen really quickly in the life of Joseph, but, but they should happen that quickly in our lives as well. And then we begin to wonder when they don't happen that quickly, what is wrong? Why are these things not happening for us? We, we misunderstand when we miss the some time. We misunderstand our own lives. And not just our lives in general, but our life and our relationship with God. We misunderstand sanctification and the process that God goes through in our lives. So don't miss the sometime. Joseph had been a slave and a prisoner for at least 10 years now. Right? We, we've only read about Joseph in chapter 37 and, uh, and, and, and 39 and 40. I mean, this is, this is it. We, we, we've read quickly of what's happening, but it's been 10 years for Joseph. That is some time. 10 years of being owned. He was a slave. Like all of the stories that you hear of slavery, Joseph was a slave and he lived those years of slavery, owned by another person, thrown into prison, not just thrown into prison, he was lied about. He, he was above reproach when it came to Potiphar's wife, and yet he was lied about, and he was thrown into prison. Ten years, ten years as a slave and a prisoner, ten years of suffering. It's easy, at, at least for me, it's, it's easy in my life. I confess this to you. I feel like it's probably the same for many of you as well, but it's easy, at least for me, to sometimes see my circumstances and lose sight of God. To, to not see God in my circumstances because all I see is my circumstances. To see, to see all that is wrong in my life, to see the hurt in my life, and to not see that God is at work even in the hurt and the suffering. Here we get to see in Joseph's story the God who is always at work. I want to back up to verse 2 and read a bit more. Verse 2, the God who is always at work. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one 
to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So I want to pause right there. We're talking about the God who is always at work. Uh, again, our, our tendency, at least my tendency, is to look at my circumstances and miss the God who is at work in those circumstances, right? And so when we look at the life of Joseph, yes, Joseph was in prison. We should remember that. And, and it was a prison, right? I mean, he was, he was in prison. It, it wasn't just that he was in a house. Joseph was in prison, and prison was not a, a good place to be. In fact, we see in, in verse 14 that, that Joseph will essentially beg the cupbearer to get him out of prison. Why? Because Joseph didn't want to be in prison. In fact, he compares prison to being in the pit that his brothers threw him in. Yes, he was in prison. And yes, he was in prison because of the lies of Potiphar's wife when when Joseph had been faithful to Potiphar. And yes, again, Joseph was a slave. He was a slave in Potiphar's house. Going back even before that, when we we talk about his suffering, his, his brothers sold him into slavery to get rid of him. It would be easy to look at all of those circumstances and miss the God who was at work in the circumstances. It would be easy to look at all of that and say, woe is me. God has left me. God has abandoned me. I am out here all alone. But Joseph was not alone. It was the Lord we saw last week in our verses that, that, that blessed the work of Joseph, so much so. Joseph's work was so blessed that Potiphar and even the jailer ultimately put Joseph in charge of everything, and they did that saying, the hand of God is on Joseph. Now, even after much time has passed, more time has passed, even after all of this time has passed, we see God at work. The baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh, have, they've made Pharaoh mad, and so Pharaoh threw them into prison, not just any prison. He threw them into the prison where Joseph was, handing them over to the captain of the guard who appoints none other than Joseph to attend to them personally. And then God sends a dream to them. God sends a dream to, to, to the cupbearer and the baker. Uh, uh, different dreams, different interpretations. Now, according to historians and, and, and the commentaries that I've read, dreams were a big deal for the Egyptians. The people believe that this is how the gods, their gods, little g, plural, communicated with them was through their dreams. And so they had in Egypt professional dream interpreters so that when people had these dreams and they could remember their dreams, if they didn't know what the gods were trying to say, they would go to one of these professionals who would tell them what the gods were communicating to them, professional dream interpreters. But there wasn't one in prison. There was no professional dream interpreter in prison, so the men were troubled. The men were troubled that they didn't know what the dreams meant, the dreams that God had sent to them. Now, let me, I am am overemphasizing all of this very intentionally, right? I'm not not just repeating myself, but I want to go through it again to make sure that we see all of this right. Joseph, a slave, Joseph was a slave. He was owned by Potiphar. 
Joseph was a slave owned by Potiphar who had been accused of trying to take advantage. I'm saying that in a really nice way for any of our young kids who might be in here, trying to take advantage of Potiphar's wife. Instead of putting the slave to death, which Potiphar had every right to do, and Potiphar was very angry about what happened, instead of putting the slave to death, he threw the slave into Pharaoh's jail, where... He was such a model prisoner and such a leader, and the hand of God was so evident on him, he was so trustworthy that the jailer happened to put him in charge of everything and everyone in the prison. Everything that Joseph did because of God, by Joseph's hand, it was blessed more than anybody else had done. Now, these two very important men, very closely connected with the Pharaoh, happen to be thrown into the same jail as he is in. And Joseph, who was the slave accused of taking advantage of Potiphar's wife, who probably should have been killed for his crime is put in charge of these two men, assigned to the baker and the cupbearer, and these two men have dreams, and these dreams are from God. God has given them these dreams. There are no professionals in the jail to interpret their dream, but Joseph, again, who was a slave who probably should have been killed by, by, by Potiphar, Joseph is there, and, and think back to chapter 37 with me. What was the final straw that seemed to break the back of the brothers? Wasn't it Joseph's dream? Joseph had experience with dreams. And more importantly, Joseph had experience with the God who gives dreams. None of those are coincidences. This was the hand of God at work, even in Joseph's suffering. Now, as, as usual, it's easy for us to see, I think, from here. If we slow down and read the story and we begin to think, or if, if someone points out what, 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 what is here, it, it, becomes, it becomes more obvious. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We've all heard that before. And there's certainly some truth in the thought that the reason that hindsight is so clear is because we've come through it all. Like once we've come through it all, we can look back on it and say, oh, okay, I see what was happening here and I see what God was, was doing there. But I think, again, at least for me, a confession for me, often the reason that I don't see the hand of God at work in my difficult circumstances and dark days is because I am not looking for it. I'm not thinking about the good that God might be doing. I'm, I, I'm not thinking about how God might somehow, even if I don't know how, be working all of the mess together for good. I can't see past me. I can't see past why me. Why me? And, and I, 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 don't, I don't ask that question for clarity. <laughs> Understand what I'm saying. I'm not asking God for clarity. Like, God, why are you doing this to me? I'm asking in bitterness. 
I'm asking in self-righteousness. How could you do this to me? Oftentimes in my, my, my own suffering, my own difficulties, I become an unbelieving believer. An unbelieving believer. In the pain of the moment, in the pain of months, maybe in the pain of years, I don't believe anymore that God knows best. I don't believe that. Functionally. Functionally, I, I don't believe that God knows best. I don't believe that God is with me. I don't believe that God is good and kind. I don't believe that God is truly working all things together for good. I, I, know, I know the words. I know the words, and, 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 and weakly, I, I, I believe in, in, in weakness. I, I believe the words, but my heart. My heart doesn't hold them as true. I think, I think this is what we see in the New Testament when, when, the, when, the, Lord said, when the man said to Jesus, I, I, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And that is exactly where we read of God's people as they wandered in the wilderness, going to the promised land, this story written for them to read. I, I think this is exactly what we read of them. They forgot. And they didn't truly believe. But that's not what we see of Joseph in this story, right? That's not what we see of Joseph. What do we see? We see Joseph's bold faith. I want to back up again and read beginning in verse 8 because I think here we see the first sign of Joseph's belief, that Joseph still believed even though 10 years of suffering had gone on. 10 years of darkness for him, Joseph still believed. In verse 8, it says, they said to him, we've had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Now watch what Joseph does here. He, he, he doesn't show bitterness. He doesn't show rejection. He doesn't show anger that God has abandoned him. He doesn't throw up his hands. Joseph proclaims Elohim, the God of the Hebrews. That's what he does. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Do not interpretations belong to Elohim? Elohim is the God of, of the Hebrews. Tell me your dreams, not, not, not little g and, and plural s, God, the God of the Hebrews, Elohim, the all-powerful God. Do not interpretations belong to Elohim? Tell me your dreams and I will interpret them. Joseph knew that God was still with him. Even though he was suffering, even though 10 years had passed, Joseph knew that God was still with him. Joseph boldly proclaims his God, and boldly he believes that God. Tell me your dreams in Elohim. Elohim, the all-powerful, will give me the interpretation. Tell me your dreams. What we see next is Joseph boldly proclaimed the cupbearer's dream. Again, boldness in his faith. So the chief cupbearer, verse 9, told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossoms, its blossoms shot forth, 
and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only, verse 14, remember me when it is well with you, and please, please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Here is what your dream means. Like that is boldness. He is boldly proclaiming what this dream means. In three days, I, I love that. You know why? Because I would not have that boldness. I would say, I, I think in a few days, or I think in several days. Like, that's not it at all. Like, he just boldly states it. Here is what your dream means. In three days, Three specific days, the Pharaoh will raise up your head and restore you to your office. He was so sure of, 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 of his interpretation that he adds, when you get out, please remember me. Don't forget me. When you are out and things are back to normal for you, tell the Pharaoh about me. Get me out of this prison. I've done nothing and don't deserve to be here. Joseph boldly proclaimed the, the cupbearer's dream. Then, then we see Joseph boldly proclaim the baker's dream, verse 16. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Again, boldness, maybe even more boldness here because it would be easy to, to say good things, right? Here's the good things that your dream means. You're, you're about to get out of here. In three days, you're going to be restored. You'll be the cupbearer again, and life will be great for you. But here, here, even more boldness is required because this is terrible. In three days, the Pharaoh will lift your head, but you won't be restored. Instead, you will be hanged in a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Again, what incredible faith to boldly make that proclamation, to be so sure that this is what you have heard from God. Verse 20, on the, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, and, and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Joseph was right. Joseph was, was right, and I don't mean he was right in his interpretation. I mean he was right to believe. Joseph was right to believe, right to still believe. E even though his circumstances were unchanged, Joseph still believed that God was with him and God was speaking to him. 
the circumstances were the same. In fact, in verse 23, we are left on another sad note. Even after this, even after the, the, the cupbearer was returned to his position and, and, and restored, verse 23 says the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Two more years he would remain in prison. Again, I'm, I'm saying this again. Don't look at this and not see Joseph pleading with the cupbearer. Right? Get me out of here. When, when, you are, when you are out of here, don't forget me. Joseph had been a, a, a slave, and now he was a, a prisoner, a, a, a prisoner, a slave and a prisoner. For 10 years or more, he suffered. Joseph Joseph suffered, not, not, not some short-term event or suffering, long-term suffering for Joseph, suffering with no end in sight. Joseph provides us with a picture of, of what it means and what it looks like to suffer faithfully. He shows us that it is possible to see beyond our circumstances and trust in the promises of God. One of the commentaries that I read, I think it was Alan Ross, um, talking about these dreams. He said this was ultimately about more than Joseph having faith in what God was saying about the cupbearer and the baker through their dreams. This was, this was really about the faith that Joseph had in the God who gave him dreams. Joseph still believed. And it offers us a glimpse of the faith of Joseph for God's promises to him. Faith that was greater than slavery and prison. God had given him a dream. God had given him two dreams. One day you will rule. One day you will rule even over your brothers and your father. They will bow down to you one day. Ten years later, after much suffering, Joseph still believed. And for us, for us, we can see the hand of God, right? When we read the story, and, and I'm, I'm trying to help us see that, but, but, but we can see the hand of God in this, shaping Joseph through all of these events, shaping Joseph through all of these years, moving him from Potiphar's field to his home, ultimately being over all that Potiphar had, e even in the jail, doing the same thing, Joseph rising to a position of authority. The writer is clear to say to us that, that all of this was happening in Joseph's life, all of this, these blessings where, where Potiphar and the jailer could see and say, surely the hand of God is on this man. We, we, can, even, we can even see it, you know, God bringing the baker and the cupbearer to that prison and Joseph being the man who was put in charge of them. Even if we don't know why at this point in the story, we know that God is at work. God is not only making Joseph a leader, that's what he's doing, making Joseph a leader, but he's also inserting Joseph into the lives of other leaders, other leaders who had Pharaoh's ear, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, the jailer, the chief cupbearer, all people known by Pharaoh and close to him. 
we can see the hand of God at work. When God's people left their slavery in Egypt, after 400 years of, of slavery, they had the same opportunity. They, they had the same opportunity to look back and to see the hand of God, Elohim, the all-powerful God. They, they had that opportunity in the plagues that came on Egypt. They, they were there. They were there when the plagues came, and the plagues affected everybody in Egypt except them. They saw it. They witnessed it. They lived through it. They, they, they saw it when they approached the Red Sea. They saw the hand of God. They had that opportunity to remember what God had done. They came to the Red Sea, and the army of Pharaoh was, a, was approaching them and gaining ground. What would they do? How could they get three million people across the Red Sea? They experienced the hand of God when God parted the sea. And he dried the ground that they could cross over easily on. They had the opportunity to see the hand of God. When, when, when they got through the other side and while Pharaoh's army was still, still there, God brought down the waters, crushing Pharaoh's army, destroying them. They, they had the opportunity to see the hand of God feeding them and providing water for them. When they were thirsty, when they were thirsty, Moses struck a rock and water gushed from the rock, and they were thirsty no more. Manna fell from, from heaven to feed them. And when they complained about manna, he sent meat. They had the opportunity to see the hand of God with them. Physically, they could see God with them when, when by night God led them with a pillar of fire in the sky and, and by day a, a, a cloud of smoke in the sky. God's presence with them leading them through the wilderness. They had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to see the hand of God with them and yet... And yet their circumstances, the, the wilderness, the desert, the wandering, the uncertainty, it all overshadowed God's hand. They would forget His promises. They would forget His faithfulness. They would forget this very story, the story of Joseph. And in their forgetfulness, they would be filled with, with, with doubt and worry. They would feel that God had abandoned them, and so they had to take care of themselves. They would, they would feel like God had brought them out to the wilderness and left them there to die. Sometimes they would be angry. Others, they would be sad even bitter. The fear and doubt of an entire generation would lead them to circle in the wilderness for 40 years. They only saw hard circumstances and they could not see the hand of God with them. What about you? That's what this is really about for us. What about us? Some of us here this morning are, are, are in the midst of a dark time. 
time of suffering. What, what, what will you do? Th- those of us who are not, listen to me, especially those of you who are young, you think you'll never be there. You will be there. We all, we all have been there in in some sense. We all will be there again. What will you do? What will you do when you find yourself hurting from circumstances beyond your control? Your job, your family, a friend, maybe your own poor health, maybe the loss of someone that you love. What will you do when you think that God has abandoned you? Will you be angry? Will you grumble? Will you doubt the promises of God? Will you, will you doubt God? Will you doubt that He is good, that He is faithful, that He is true, that He is kind, that He is merciful, that He is loving, that, that, that He is sovereign, that He is Elohim, the all-powerful God who is able to work all things together for good, even, even the darkest of things? Will you be like Joseph and still believe? Joseph had a dream and he believed. But Joseph had more than a dream. He had the promises passed down from Abraham to Isaac and to his father Jacob. But even more than the promises, even more than the dream, he had their God. And their God was his God. And so do you. Do you hear me? Their God is your God. And, 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 and you have the promises of Scripture to you. You have the promises from God that, that, that He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. You have the promises that no matter what the circumstances may be, no matter how dark the night is, Elohim, the all-powerful, is working all things together for good for you, even when you don't see it. Like Joseph, you have the promises of God, and, and, and like Joseph, if you will stop, And like the people of Israel, if you will stop and look back, your life bears witness to God's grace and provision. You have stories. You have stories from from your life. You have stories from from your family's life. You have stories from from friends. You, You have stories of the hand of God being so evident in your life, making a way where there seemed to be no other way providing for you when you, you, you saw no way for that to take place, caring for you. And you have more. We have more than Joseph ever saw. We have Jesus. Jesus who came to save us. Jesus who reconciles us to the Father through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus who takes away our sins and who makes us sons and daughters. Jesus who sent the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God with us. In in that, this Spirit that Jesus said, "I I am sending the Spirit to you and he will be with you and he will be in you. 
in you until the day of your final redemption, with you until the day of your final redemption. The third person of the Trinity, God himself, the Holy Spirit, is with you, and he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. Jesus, who was forsaken so that you and I will never be forsaken. Jesus, who, who suffered sin's just reward so that we won't. How do, I, how do I know that I am loved when everything feels so, so dark and heavy? How do I know that I am loved? How do I know that God is for me and that God is with me and that God will, will never leave me alone? How do I know that God will give me everything that I need? Jesus is how I know. Jesus is the proof that all of these things are true. Believe like Joseph. Believe. And one last thing, one gracious gift from God that we often forget. God has given us one another, this family, so that in those days of, of hurt, in those days of doubt, we can remind one another of the goodness of God. We are gifts of grace to one another. Believe. Believe like Joseph. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this um, reminder. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, would bring this story to our mind when, when, when we encounter days of darkness, when we, when we question. Remind us again and again of Jesus, the, the evidence that we are loved and cared for, the evidence that, that you would never leave us and never forsake us, the great ends that you have, have gone to to make us yours. Remind us. Holy Spirit, help us believe. Not, not with weak words or a weak mind, but with hearts who hold tight to your promises and to Jesus. Help us. We are indeed desperately needy people. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.